Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you are listening to episode 32 of Connection, Not Perfection. Welcome to Connection, Not Perfection, the podcast that helps parents and teens connect using literature, laughter, and love. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so excited that you're here today. Now, if you're new and you're wondering what in the world is an Ish Girl, here's my quick answer. An Ish Girl is one who has humorous grace with herself when discovering she's messed up or flaked out again. Now, that's a little phrase that I came up with because I have to have grace with myself a lot. For instance, this week when my son texted me from school at lunchtime, reminding me that I still hadn't put money in his cafeteria account, that was an ish moment, right? Just ugh, because I wish I could say that was the first time that that's happened, but it's not. Anyway, for all of you who've been with me before, welcome back and thanks for sticking around. I am just super grateful for all of you sharing your time with me. So thanks for that. Now today I am talking about a new book that just came out at the beginning of this month. It is called The Rule of One and it is by Ashley Saunders and Leslie Saunders. And I have to say it is a really fun read for several reasons. First, it's about identical twins, and it's written by identical twins, which I thought was super fun. Second, it's set in the Dallas area, which, as you may already know, are my current stopping grounds. And last but not least, it's a really entertaining dystopian story. And dystopian is one of my favorite genres, and I feel like it's been quite a little bit since I've read one that really engaged me the way that this one did. Now, it was a quick read, and I really think that teens are going to be drawn to it because of the action adventure aspects of it. And especially those teens who were drawn to say the Hunger Games or Divergent or stories like that, I think they will really like this one. Now, it is set in a future where the Earth's resources are depleted and overpopulation is straining everything that's left. And in this futuristic society here in the Dallas area, there are cameras everywhere and the government is watching everything. Everyone has a microchip that is implanted in their wrists and families are actually only able to have one child. Now, what I thought was interesting is that, you know, the one child rule already exists in our world. So I think that made this story a little bit more plausible because there is that bit of reality that's a part of it. So this story is about Ava Goodwin, whose father is a very high-ranking government official. He's actually the director of the Texas Family Planning Division, and that is actually the agency that enforces the rule of one child only. And that's very ironic because Ava has a twin sister named Mira, who has stayed hidden for 18 years. Now, Ava and Mira have pulled off switching places like every other day for their whole lives. I think it started like when they were five years old and first going to school. And they've been able to pull it off largely because of the strict rules their dad has enforced. And these rules have been drilled into them since before they could speak even. And the first one is 
you have to be perfect because any slip up is going to mean that all three of them will die. Now, each day, one of the twins stays hidden in an an underground bedroom um, that the girls share, and the other one goes to school. And at the end of each day, they debrief each other over everything that's happened, all the things that they've learned. They share their homework load between the two of them. And so they have to keep the charade going up and they have to be perfect and they have to have the same haircut and wear the same clothes and, you know, all the things that that would entail. Now, it is also quickly revealed that their mother died giving birth to them. And this was largely because it was a home birth, which was unusual um, in their society. And it's something that their parents planned and implemented because they knew that they had a multiple pregnancy. What happened was they decided to do a home birth. And during the home birth, I think their mother hemorrhaged out. And so really she sacrificed her own life in order to be able to have both of her babies. Anyway, Mira, who is the second born twin, she feels a lot of guilt over just the fact that she was born. And in her eyes, her birth killed her mom and her existence puts her father and her sister in danger every day. So she actually does not have a microchip, which puts her in a lot of danger because they have to swipe their wrists for everything from public transportation to getting food in the cafeteria at school. So they have to kind of work around all those things in their day-to-day lives. Now, When the governor of Texas comes to dinner at the Goodwin house, because remember, Mr. Goodwin is a very high-ranking public official, the governor brings his very creepy grandson, his name is Halton Roth, and Halton goes to school with the twins, and he has been watching who he thinks to be Ava for a long time and really observing her and paying attention, and he has figured out that something is off. And when he confronts, I think it was Mira at the dinner, with the governor. But when he confronts the twin about it, she tries to play it off, but she knows, she knows that they are busted. So on that same night, she and her, her twin, Ava, so the twins escape their home very dramatically. Their dad was going to go with them, but in the end, he has to sacrifice himself and allow himself to be arrested so that the girls can get away. But he has very clearly prepared them for just this moment. And he's been preparing for years because he gives them two backpacks full of supplies and a map that shows several safe houses that have been set up on a route to travel to Denver. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in his preparation because that was a big part of the book. But what I loved about this book really was the evolution of the relationship between Ava and Mira. Because at the beginning of the book, it was kind of eerie the way that they referred to themselves as one being, kind of a hive mindset. They used phrases like, he looked at us in choir today, or we got an A minus on the test. And they really are, and I think it actually says this, they are one soul and two bodies. But as they make their way across Texas towards Denver, their intense bond starts to separate bit by bit. And it starts with them dyeing their hair. That's part of the um, the supplies that their dad gives them is stuff to change their appearance. So one of them dyes their hair like a shoulder length black because they cut it too. And then the other one dyes her hair blonde and um, cuts it into a short 
pixie cut and they each wear contacts. And before their change in appearance, they have very noticeable bright red flaming hair and green eyes is how the authors describe it. So anyway, they change their appearance and that is kind of the beginning of their separation. And this separation in this kind of forming their new separate identities continues all the way throughout the book. They end up eventually separating, and I don't want to give away too much, but when they separate or just before they do, they actually get into a physical altercation and Mira, the younger twin, is kind of in her head reflecting that Ava, her sister, is finally seeing her full evolution and she hates what I've become. She says she Ava's finally seeing my full evolution and she hates what I've become, something other than her. So I just thought it was a really interesting sibling story, and, you know, kind of a whole new take on developing your own identity. And for them, along with all the other challenges, there's the challenge of separating from each other in order to create those new identities of individuality. I also loved the dynamic between the girls and their dad, because he was definitely a strict military, follow the rules kind of guy, but he clearly loved them. Plus, as they traveled, the girls learned more and more about him and about their dead mom. And it turns out that their parents were part of this resistance movement against the government called the Common. Now, as much as I enjoyed the book, and I'm definitely planning on reading the sequel, which is called The Rule of Many and is set to come out in May of next year, there were definitely parts where I wanted more. It was mostly in character development that I found that I wanted to know more about the girl's parents, especially the dad. I wanted to know more about the villain in the story, Halton Roth, and about his grandfather, the governor of Texas. Um, I felt like they could have developed all of those characters a little bit more, given us um, just a few beats on their stories and a little bit more characterization with them. And I also wanted a few more beats on the girl's separation and the complexity that comes with that whole idea of an identity crisis that I mentioned before. So while it left me a little bit unsatisfied, it was definitely an entertaining read. And several issues did come up in the book that are great for talking about with your teen. Things like identity and sibling relationships and parent-teen relationships. And almost, I had trouble deciding if I wanted to call it a parent-teen relationship or even uh, parent sacrifice. And I'll, I'll go over that a little bit more in a second. But also sexual assault and secrets. Now, I've already talked a little bit about that identity. So I'm just going to move straight into sibling relationships. First, part of what drew me to this book was that it is about twins by twins. And I think I've always had this kind of lifelong fascination with twins. I used to wish I was a twin. And so the fact that identical twins wrote a book about identical twins, I thought was pretty awesome. And I've actually included a link to the author's website. So you can go and take a look at Ashley and Leslie Saunders. And I think it's really cool that they work together, not just in writing, but also in filmmaking as well. So go and check them out. Anyway, the relationship between Ava and Mira in the beginning is pretty foreign, probably to what most teens experience, at least I would hope so. They really do share one identity because they are under such pressure to be the same, to be perfect. Um, one of them even has a scar on her collarbone area that they have to cover up. She has to cover it up every day with makeup, which, by the way, is a punishable crime. 
um, in order to keep up their charade. So as they get further into the journey, we see their individuality really start to emerge. We see that Ava is just fiercely protective of her younger sister, and that Mira, as I mentioned before, is intensely guilt-ridden over her very existence. And although they're in a crisis trying to escape, right, like they're on the run, um, they're no longer under the crisis to be the same or to be perfect at being the same. So their true feelings about sharing that identity really begin to emerge. And Ava realizes that she does blame Mira to some extent for her mother's death, death and for the way that they've had to live. And Mira really resents that it was Ava's persona that they had to use. And she's really angry that her very existence is a crime, that they're in this whole situation because of how their world is set up. Now, the two do come together very powerfully at the end, but it is definitely a rough journey. And something that you could ask your teen about this whole idea of sibling relationships is, what would be the biggest issue for you if you had to share an identity with your sibling? And how are you different from or the same as your sibling? Okay, the next issue, and I did give an awkward little pause there because I want you to have time to really think about these questions as I go through them. And I do want you to know that they're going to be in my show notes as well. So you can always look at them there. But I am going to pause for just a sec to to let you kind of process that and think about those questions as I go through them. Okay, the next issue, I wasn't sure, as I said before, to call it a parent team relationship issue or a parent sacrifice issue. Because as I mentioned before, the twins dad is not in the story very much. He's just there kind of at the beginning. But we do see the tremendous sacrifices that both he and the girl's mom have made. So obviously her mom gave up her life by even daring to have the twins. And their dad has, at this point, as they're running away, submitted himself to all kinds of torture and possible death by giving the girls a chance to escape. And as they travel, the twins start learning more and more about their dad just in the way that he has prepared this trip for them. Because you see that he has paved the way for them to get out of Texas in great detail. Like he set up safe houses. He has set up for them to be given supplies along the way. He has arranged transportation for them. And he's done all this just years in advance. It was as if he knew that one day they would need a plan in order to survive. So the girls eventually end up disagreeing over whether to continue on to safety. That was kind of what Ava wanted to do most because she wanted to honor their father's sacrifice. But Mira really wanted to go back and try to save them. And that is what they end up arguing and separating over at towards the end of the book. Now, here is what you can discuss with your teen about that parent-teen relationship that they had and also just about parent sacrifice. So here's the question. Do you think the, their father, the girl's father, would rather them escape and continue the rebellion? Or do you think he would rather them go back and rescue him from death? And why do you think that? And also, what do you think I would want in the same circumstance, I being the parent? Like, what would your mom or dad want in the same circumstance? And what ways have we sacrificed for each other in our family? So one more time, 
Do you think their father would rather escape and continue the rebellion or go back and rescue him from death? And why? What do you think I would want in the same circumstance as your parents? And what ways have we sacrificed for each other in our family? Okay, the next topic I'm going to tackle is sexual assault, which comes up as the girls are fleeing towards Denver, as you might imagine. They have actually found a friend who's traveling with them, a girl named Lucia, and they are waylaid by bandits who take their supplies and then are very clearly going to rape them. They're able to escape because Lucia has a weapon that they didn't know about. But the whole episode is pretty harrowing. And this scene is very descriptive, I would say, in how the men touch the girls, how they threaten the girls, the kind of language that they use. And it is definitely unsettling and scary. And afterwards, both of the girls, the twins, struggle with what I would call and identify as PTSD symptoms, like having flashbacks and being hypervigilant and really kind of having that feeling of wanting to scrub away the ghosts of those men's touches. So as I said, it, it's not graphic in terms of um, there actually being a rape scene, but it is graphic in what happens up to the point where they're able to be saved by Lucia having a weapon. Now, here's what you can talk to your teen about as far as that's concerned. What part of that scene was the scariest for you? And when have you ever felt threatened in that way? Also, Ava recognized that the teen who was with the men, a young man, was helpless and he would not be able to help them. And she recognized that it was the very same way she had felt earlier in the story when she saw a woman beaten for stealing water. So it's the sense of helplessness. When have you ever felt that kind of helplessness? So again, what part of the scene was scariest for you? When have you ever felt threatened in that way? And reflecting back in the story to when Ava saw a woman beaten for stealing water and felt helpless, she recognizes that the teen who is with the bandits also feels helpless. And when have you felt that kind of helplessness. The last issue I'm going to talk about is secrets. Now, obviously, that is a big theme in the book because obviously the family kept the twins a secret for 18 years. But there were also secrets like the fact that their grandmother was alive, their mom's mom was alive, and then also that their mom was a leader in the resistance and their dad was a part of it too. And he had really infiltrated his high government office. There was also the fact that the government was trying to keep the twins themselves a secret from the people. So even though there's this huge manhunt on for the twins, like they're, the government is clearly searching for them, there's stuff on the news about it, the government is only putting out that they're searching for Ava Goodwin, one of them. They haven't mentioned that they're twins because... If they do, their very, the very existence of twins in this rule of one society, would it would very much incite rebellion. So in the end, the twins reveal themselves dramatically, and it sets the stage for the next book because it has been such a secret that they are, the, you know, that they're identical twins. So here's what you can talk to your teen about and ask them. What kinds of secrets are helpful, if any, and what kind are harmful, again, if any? When have you ever discovered a secret that harmed you or helped you? 
When have you kept a secret that's harmed someone else or helped them? So again, what kinds of secrets are helpful and what kinds are harmful? When have you ever discovered a secret that harmed you or helped you? When have you kept a secret that has harmed someone else or helped them? Okay, one of the reasons I chose this particular book was because I knew it would appeal to a lot of teens. I mentioned that before. I really think it's going to appeal to the teens who loved Divergent and Hunger Games and stories along those lines. Plus, I also felt like with China's rule of one, it makes this story even more compelling because there's this element of reality and plausibility in in this. So it's something that's already happening. So it's not too far of a stretch of the imagination to think that that might happen again, or even here in the United States. So because of all those factors, um, even given the character development, I would seriously not be surprised if they ended up turning this into a movie or some kind of series, because it, again, it is a very entertaining, fun read. Okay, now that we have been able to chat about the book, I just want to tell you how much I love getting to talk to you guys about one of my favorite things, which is YA books. The very fact that I can sit and read and call it work still is just, it blows my mind. And none of that would be possible without you guys. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I just love being able to do this. I love being able to talk to you about your teens and about my teens and about all the things that we're reading and all of the things that we're looking at and dealing with and the ways that we're trying to connect. And I hope that you are finding ways to connect and discovering new things to do to try to do that um, as you listen. So again, just thank you for being here. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I would just love for you to go ahead and click that little button so that you don't miss any of my new episodes. I'm super excited about a couple that are coming up in the next few weeks. Um, I think that you're really going to enjoy them. And then also just a reminder, I would love for you to sign up for my weekly emails because I do share stories and other information and things there that I don't offer anywhere else. Now, If you read The Rule of One, and especially if you've talked about it with your teen, I would love for you to hop on Facebook or Instagram. There are links to both of my accounts down below where you can hop on and comment and tell me about which scene really resonated with you in The Rule of One. Um, For me, because there are tons of good ones, right? For me, my favorite was the one with the kangaroos. And if you've read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, friends, until next time, from an ish girl who cannot wait to go see the movie adaptation for The Hate You Give this weekend, just remember, it is all about connection, not perfection.